0: This podcast is brought to you by Proudmouth, the Influence Accelerators. We help you sell less and advise more by turning you into a recognized subject matter authority. Visit us at proudmouth.com to learn more about our Influence Accelerator services.
1: Welcome to the Quantum Growth Podcast, empowering financial advisors to build practices for the 21st century by providing insights and interviews on leadership, strategy, and practice management. Now here is your host Barron's hall of fame advisor jonathan cutten
0: okay here we are quantum growth for financial advisors family another podcast today i am super excited uh, to have a guest with us today that my team uh, has gotten to know really well uh, and i wanted to intro- introduce robert milliman uh, who is the national sales manager of the independent broker dealer channel for first eagle funds who's become a great friend uh, of our practice and been really helpful in helping our team develop and learn best practices from some of the top advisors around the industry. Uh, so with that being said, Robert, I wanted to welcome and thank you for being our guest today. And maybe you could just say a quick hello and hit you with the cut and two step right away. Uh, and maybe just tell everybody a little bit about your background and kind of how you got to the, the seat that you're in today oh good afternoon uh, great to be here thanks so much for for allowing us to participate
1: uh, on, a, on a passion that we're super passionate about or a topic we're super passionate about so this is i believe my 24th year in the industry a lot has changed and it's it's really been great to see it evolve i've been on all sides of the desk and uh, most recently i've been a sales manager for about 15 years uh, helping advisors and wholesalers and in, in the industry um, just share best practices and, and how to get better and, and how to evolve and Super excited to share some of those ideas
0: today. No, love it. And uh, it's got to be a lot of fun, right? Running around and meeting a lot of successful advisors, I'm sure. Not here, of course, but you get some <laughs> egos and some some not such nice people as well. But uh, it's got to be pretty cool kind of getting under the hood and seeing what top advisors around the country are doing. So, you know, congrats for that. And I'm sure it's a lot of fun. Now, I I believe, you know, from past presentations that some, in fact, I think I I might've heard one of your presentations at a Barron's conference as well, but I believe that some of the kind of data that you collected and some of your kind of due diligence to put these best practices together came from the Oxley Institute, who I know is super well-respected in the industry Uh, Maybe you could talk a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. So um, we've been very fortunate to to present
1: teaming throughout the country, national conferences, Barron's, Forbes, um, you name it. We've we've kind of been there and it's really been fun to do and definitely a passion of ours. So we partnered with the Oxley Institute four years ago, really recognizing the explosion of teaming in the industry and, and just the trend and how powerful it was. And also recognizing that as these teams began to grow and began to scale, the need for best practices and the need for practice management, and to get better with leadership and all the things that go into running a successful team. Um, and the Oxley Institute, is, as many know, was founded back in 1978 by Matt Oxley. They have a team of 30 professionals uh, and coaches. They work with financial advisors, and they provide fantastic, I think, cutting-edge uh, content in our industry that's all centered around best practices with elite financial advisors. So excited to partner with them. And and ever since we've partnered with them four years ago, this presentation just continues to evolve. Thanks to all the elite teams out there that continue to evolve.
0: Love it. Yeah. No, I didn't know that uh, the Oxley Institute was around that long. My goodness. So, uh, and 30 people. So they're, uh, they're even bigger than I realized. So that's very cool. So, you know, Robert, tell us, you you know, you talked a little bit about teaming, which is great. And we've all, you know, heard a little bit about, you know, uh, from a lifestyle practice to an ensemble practice and everything in between maybe you can talk a little bit as you define teaming tell us a little bit more about kind of what you mean and maybe what some of uh, you're seeing the advantages are yeah I
1: would say about 10 years ago you've really started to see groups of advisors come together and, and some form partnerships but really it's it's migrated into these teams and, and they're really growing and they're really scaling. And you're now seeing teams of 18, 20, 24 advisors, and really getting big. When you look at those top barons and top Forbes teams, and they're really figuring it out. And um, there was a study recently done with high-net-worth clients, and they said, uh, "What do you like work? What do you like uh, working with a financial advisor? What do you like best?" And they said, "You know, we like working with a group of advisors that act as specialists." So I think the teams that have been really successful at this have built a team based on hiring. Specific individuals with clearly defined experience level and clearly defined goals to operate as specialists, and when clearly articulating that to clients, it's a really powerful dynamic that differentiates themselves from the industry and really puts them in a different level in the in the high high net worth client category.
0: Yeah, no, makes makes a ton of sense, and as you know, you know that kind of describes our practice a little bit here. Uh, at KWM. So we've we've got a, around 25, I think 25 plus advisors these days. Uh, and it's, it's exactly kind of how we've grown. I wish it was more purposeful, <laughs> to be honest. So we kind of <laughs> just figured it out as time went on through trial and error. But when you think about different team members specializing, are there certain areas that you find where a team who wants to attract more higher net worth clients and Get that kind of you know rapid or what I like to call quantum growth. Where do they usually have specialists? Is it something like stock options or retirement planning or risk management? Maybe you can talk through some of what you've seen. Yeah,
1: first of all, congratulations on your team. Definitely an industry leader. It seems like every day when I open up LinkedIn, I see somebody new joining your team. So I'm actually surprised it's only 25. I would think it would like 250. Um, <laughs> it feels that way <laughs> some days. But thank you. Absolutely. So. Um, yeah, going back to your question, you know, when you think of specialists, you know, what does that mean, and and what 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 matters most to the client? Because at the end of the day, it's all about serving the client the very best possible way. It's rolling out that red carpet, and being different and being better than than everyone else in the industry and in your marketplace. You know, the the specialist roles that really jump off the page that you will for high net worth clients definitely starting with financial planning. of clients in America now view their financial advisor as a financial planner, not a financial advisor. And I think that's a really important distinction. So rolling out the red carpet and and articulating to that that client that we have somebody dedicated to financial planning. They do nothing but financial planning. They're a certified financial planner. That's their specialty. That's what they're an expert in. And that's something that our our, our team is um, happy to provide for you and, and your family. Another specialist role might be a portfolio manager, or it could be an analyst, someone that is dedicated to the process of wealth management. So they're not out necessarily meeting with clients. they're not um, worried about growing the business. They have one specific expertise, and that's being a specialist in wealth management. And the clearly the more clearly you can define those roles and articulate them, you know I, I always give this example. If I had 10 million dollars and I were to interview two, two advisors, um, one advisor is a sole practitioner and, and working by him or herself, and maybe they have an assistant or two, and I meet with another team that has a team of five or six, and they have a financial planner, they have a dedicated wealth management specialist, they have a point of contact, maybe they're uh, experts in estate planning, uh, you name it, you know, it's pretty clear if you're charging the same fee, what a high net worth client is going to perceive more value from. So not only is it, it, it important to create these roles, it's, it's even more clear and important to articulate them to clients. The fee discussion should never come up. You know, and, and fee is such a big topic in our industry and we've seen a lot of fee compression. But when I talk to the top teams in the industry and I ask them, do your clients call you and ask you about fees? Are, are they concerned about fees? You know what their answer is? You know, it's weird. We never get a call. And, and I think the reason why is because they do such a great job of showing and demonstrating the value they provided their clients, but a lot of that comes back to clearly defining those roles and um, that in the specialist nature that I mentioned.
0: Yeah, no, completely aligned, and couldn't you know couldn't agree more with you when you you know when you think about fees, right? It's all relative to value, right? So exactly. as long as the value is ultimately there, and you know it, it's interesting, you know, as I think about it, financial planning uh, is the first you know category that you mentioned. And that is clearly our differentiator uh, as a practice and something that we lead with and find that's really what clients want. Products have become somewhat commoditized and financial planning is, to me, our, our biggest differentiator. You know, I, I reference a lot, and when you were speaking, I couldn't help but think about it, a book called Who Not How, uh, and that was, uh, uh, Who Not How was actually written by, it was a Dan Sullivan, I think, right? The strategic coach, if I'm not mistaken. And when you think about who, not have, I think a lot of advisors and just human beings um, love to believe that they know everything, or at least have people perceive that they know everything. And that's one of the learnings that I've had over the last decade is it's great to say to someone, I'm not that great in picking investments. I'm pretty good at it, but I've got a CFA on my team that that's all he or she does and they're really good at it, and it's their passion. So I don't really know exactly everything they do, but what I do know is that they're really good at it, and our performance speaks for itself. And you can say the same about a CFP who does planning or a stock option expert or et cetera. So uh, I completely agree with uh, with everything that you're saying there. But how do you find, Robert, I'm going to just kind of dig in a little bit deeper. If I'm an advisor, because you know many of our listeners are not, Barons advisors or Forbes advisors. They're on their way uh, and they aspire to be. So when you are that advisor that is maybe doing a million in revenue a year and has the sales assistant or two or a junior, like you mentioned, how have you seen advisors start to actually build that out? So it's a, it's a great question. I,
1: I, I meet with a lot of teams one-on-one, whether they're in the forming stage, what I'll call the storming phase, where maybe they're having some conflicts or some challenges, the performing stage where they've come out of that and they're really starting to click. And then it, we'll call it the extraordinary phase where, where they're just really running running hard. And, and to your point, not everybody's obviously uh, running a perfect team and, and there's a lot of challenges out there. But I would always say that in order to take everything to the next level when it comes to a team. It all starts with leadership. Jack Welch had a great quote, and it's something that, that I try to live by is that before you become a leader, it was all about growing yourself. When you become a leader, it's all about growing others. And when we all got in this business, we got into it for one reason. It was entrepreneurial. We wanted to help clients, but it was a sales position. And, and most of us have a sales background. Well, leadership is, is different. It, it's, it's a full-time job. It's something you'll never master. It's something that you have to work at and every year you're going to be humbled and every year you're going to learn a lot and get better and better if you really put time towards it. And when you look at the teams that have started off really fast and grew really quickly, without question, they had a very strong leader or leaders amongst those teams, the teams that maybe got together, either they were forced or they just thought it was a good idea, but really didn't have that leadership in place. Those are the teams that you typically see struggle. So, the leadership component is so important in order to take everything to the next level, keep it progressing. Uh, because at the end of the day, you're, you're running your own franchise. And, and like any franchise, you have to have a strong leader uh, provide the direction.
0: Love it. Uh, you know, I've, I've got this saying it's the leader, it's the leader, it's always the leader. And, um, you know, just uh, I've probably said this on the podcast before, but, you know, our firm's vision statement is that cutting wealth management is not only a Barron's Hall of Fame practice, but we're known industry wide as a supercharged leadership development factory. We develop what we call level five leaders And uh, we have a leadership coach for the whole organization who's been on the podcast, Ray Kelly, from Think to Perform, who I always love to give a shout out. So there you go, Ray. But I I couldn't agree more with you. It is all about leadership and being able to cast vision. uh, And the first step is leading yourself. So, you know, completely spot on. So
1: one other thing on that, John, I think it's interesting for people to hear. So this is the brand new stat that the Oxy Institute just came out with, which was kind of surprising to me, but, but maybe it shouldn't be. 45% 45% of financial professionals don't regularly track their activities. And, you know, there's there's a leadership quote that uh, another one that I like to use is, is measure what matters. Focus on what matters and measure what matters. Or maybe as your grandpa said, uh, measure twice, cut once. You, you know, the accountability piece of running a team is so critical. And when you think of one of two actually track activities, really shows you why there's there's those that have become elite and those that that struggle with it. So I just thought I would include that in
0: there. Yeah, no, Carol Dweck's book, right? Measure What Matters, I think is the name of her book. Exactly. Um, and uh, I actually just said to one of my kids this weekend, measure twice and cut once while we were doing <laughs> some work uh, in the backyard. So uh, words to live by, uh, for sure. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing, Robert, and you and I, you know, don't know each other all that well. We've met a couple times, etc. Uh, and heard great things. But it's refreshing to hear the same things over and over. And I, th- I think you're exactly right. Measuring KPIs, right? And making sure you understand your leading and lagging indicators. It's simple stuff, easier said than done. So. This podcast is sponsored by Proudmouth, the influence accelerators. Proud mouth. If you're like our clients, you want to spend more time educating people and less time selling. That's why we turn Main Street experts like you into trusted mainstream authorities. We help you amplify your influence over a growing audience of magnetically attracted fans who will chase you down instead. Visit Proudmouth.com to learn more.
1: Be your own loud.
0: You know, I've got an opinion on this, but I'd love to get yours, right? So why do you think advisors, that million-dollar producer, right, as an example, or maybe a million-and-a-half-dollar producer, struggles going from practitioner to leader or ensemble practice? Like, are there, are there a handful of things that you see that kind of stands in their way of doing? Because I feel like so many advisors that's where they get stuck and they, they just don't know how to get out of it.
1: There's a great book called The One Thing, and I used to uh, present on it about three or four years ago when it came out. It was written by the co-founder of Keller Williams. And um, you know what it talks about is avoiding distractions and focusing on the one thing that's going to grow your business. Because when you have too many things going on or too many uh, balls in the air, you try to be a master of 50 things, typically you don't make a lot of progress. And I think what happens in our industry is you listen to a, present, a podcast like this, or maybe you hear a presentation at, at a conference and you get excited and you get 30 of those ideas and you come back to your desk and then you just get bombarded with stuff. And I think with social media, just constantly in your face, text, emails, tweets, I mean, you name it, it's really hard to concentrate, I think, for, for individuals. And I think it's those advisors that really have a narrow focus. And we're really focused on one thing, the one thing that's really going to propel their business to that next level and have the ability to execute on that is truly what separates you know, the good from the great. And I think that um, it, it's hard to do. We're just we're in a world of distractions, and now we do Zoom calls, which we've never done in the past. So that's another level of distraction. So I would just say narrowing, a, narrowing your focus down and really focusing on that one thing that's going to work and execute on that first before you go to the next thing. And, and if you have a, a mindset around that, and a process around that, you'll always be in a progressive mode.
0: Yeah, no, makes sense. So focusing on one thing at a time, getting great at it. And then I guess what happens, right, is that becomes a habit after a while. And once, once you start to build that habit, you move on to the next and kind of rinse and repeat. And before you know it, you've stacked one habit on top of the next habit, which is pretty darn cool. So earlier you had talked about, you know, Something I've I've heard another colleague um, actually use is the first time I've heard uh, it a second time, by the way. But I think what you're talking about was kind of forming, storming, norming and performing, right, is what I think it's referred to as. What does that mean? Can you in in the in the context of a financial advisor as they're growing their business, maybe you can talk through what you mean by that? Yeah, absolutely.
1: It's it's a part of the presentation I'm really passionate about. Dr. Tuckman actually created it back in the early '60s, and it still holds true today. To form, you see, whether it's a sports team or or a financial team, you see the same um, different stages, uh, and it's pretty much impossible to miss one of the stages. But there's four stages in team development. It starts with forming. You know, the forming stage is the euphoric time. It's the exciting time. We're getting the team together. We're going to take on the industry, and and we're going to do things a heck of a lot better than everybody else, and we're going to win. The challenge that most have with the forming stage, and it's the stage I'm most passionate about because I think it's where I see the most mistakes, is everyone hits go way too fast. Before having an ironclad business plan in place, before having the uh, compensation structure perfectly in place, before having the leadership of the team established, before having the goals and objectives and the accountability and all the stuff that goes into running a successful team, you got to have that in place before you hit go. Because inevitably, once you hit go, then the chaos begins, and that's when ultimately most teams—and it's pretty hard to avoid it—you go through some phase of it. But you go into um, the storming phase, and, and the storming phase is essentially reality. It's the insecurities arise. You know, I—I'm the first one to arrive here in the morning, and the last to leave. My new team members don't operate like that. I've opened up 10 accounts in the last month. My team members haven't opened up any, but we're all making the same amount of money. And that's where you see a lot of the conflict and the disagreements come in. And then people start to sit back and think, you know, is this right for me? Maybe the teaming thing wasn't the right thing for me. And and typically all that screams is a lack of focus, a lack of direction, and, and, and probably a lack of leadership. And it, it's kind of like you know dating. And in the beginning, it, it's really fun and, and it's it's euphoric. And then you kind of you, you kind of start to learn a little bit more. And then you go through the storming phase. And you have arguments and bickerments And and then you gotta you gotta figure out if if this is good long term or not. And I think that's what the storming phase is all about. There's only one clear way to exit the storming phase and enter the norming phase. And the norming phase is high client retention, a well defined business development process. And if you were to ask everyone on the team. Do you like being on this team? Is it a rewarding experience, both personally and professionally? The answer would be yes. And in order to get to that stage, which which every team obviously aspires to, it all starts with leadership. It's it's the clear goals, the clear objectives, it's the communication, and it's truly operating as one and not acting like a team, but still operating individually. And I see a lot of teams that struggle to break out to that next level operating individually as opposed to one unit with strong leadership. And then inevitably, you get to that final uh, spot of performing where everything is just kicking on high gear, well-defined marketing plan. You could add another advisor or two or buy another practice and, and plug it right in, and it's, it's just moving. Um, I talk about process a lot because the difference between teams that are operating at a very high level and others outside of leadership, it's typically process. They have well-defined processes for every stage of what they do. And they're always looking to improve them. You know, I find it interesting when I speak at barons at top teams, I look in the front two rows. It's the biggest teams in the industry. You know, why the heck do they need to be in that room taking notes? And they're the ones that typically do because they're just looking for that one process, that one best practice that they can implement to get better. And I think that's what makes teams um, so great and ultimately gets them to that point. And, and I do like to say it is easier said than done. And and it's taken many teams 20, 25, 30 years to get to that performing stage. So if you're in the storming phase right now, or if you're thinking about forming a team, just know that this is a long-term process. The Chicago Bulls and their dynasty wasn't built overnight. It took time and a lot of development and a lot of training.
0: You just took the words right out of my mouth. I'm thinking as you're speaking, I'm going, took me about 15 years to go from forming to performing. And we really just started performing over the last two or three years and to your point right now we are just scaling but there was a lot of complexity it started really simple with the vision and got super complex and you know the other piece that i think was a amazing point that you made i had a a colleague of mine and business partner's name is paul latham from hayden rock my partner over there uh, on a podcast a few episodes ago and he's got this thing, Robert. He calls it the three ingredients of business success. and they are vision, plan, and desire. And Paul's got this English accent. And what he actually says is, you know vision is kind of simple, right? know where you're going and and you know see the see the big picture of what you want to accomplish. But he says, plan. And then he says, write plans in an English accent. And he says, you need to write down five to seven kpis simply that will actually if executed on will ultimately bring that vision to life and the desire piece is what you were talking about before which are kpis and measuring what matters and all that kind of good stuff so i couldn't agree with you more and i personally credit paul i heard him say vision plan desire 50 times and before I really got it. And when he said write plans, I started to write things down. And when I wrote things down and made it simple, the people in my organization actually got the vision because for years I was banging my head on the table going, I don't know why they can't see what I see. I keep saying it over and over and over again. But once you paint it out for someone and actually show them the picture and the step-by-step kind of painting by numbers process, it really starts to work. So completely agree and sorry to get excited about it. But uh, thanks for sharing it, that's great. Vision, plan, desire. I love it. I, I should always learning,
1: always learning. I should introduce
0: <laughs> uh, you to Paul at some point because he says it in a much better uh, English accent than I will attempt um, <laughs> for sure. But I think that's you know that's brilliant uh, as Paul would say. So you know, Robert, when you start to think about building out teams and you kind of getting through that storm norm and perform phase, you know, I've always, you know, looked at, and I think you, you point to this sometimes there's really two different ways to build a team, uh, either a vertical team or more of a horizontal team. Can you kind of talk the audience through is, is one better than the other? Are they different? Maybe talk about what you're seeing in the industry there. Yeah, sure. So, um,
1: it, you know, a vertical team is, is all about being a CEO. It's, it's being that senior financial professional that really doesn't want to partner with other financial advisors and wants to build a team underneath them. If you look at many of the top Barron's uh, financial advisors they'll fit, or teams, they'll, they'll fit that mode. And I, I think that works really well for that type of individual. Um, you know, they're typically uh, the type of individual that acts like a CEO. If you were to walk into their office, their desk is usually pretty clean. Uh, it tells you that they're great at delegating. And they're also very good at hiring people and trusting those people to do their life's best work, holding those people accountable and freeing up their time. And I've seen so many in that vertical structure who are rainmakers, and they've figured out how to have the financial planner, have the analyst, have the wealth management taken care of. So it frees up their time to go do what they do best, which is grow the practice, meet with high net worth clients and prospects and really scale the practice. And they're the toughest ones to get in front of, quite frankly, have to meet them at Starbucks because they rarely come into the office or, you know, maybe meet them for a cocktail or something. They definitely have a different mindset and uh, it's very powerful. If you look at the horizontal structure, it's it's definitely more common in our industry and becoming even more common as more and more advisors are, are pairing up and becoming teams. But that horizontal structure you know, is all about growing and scaling horizontally with, with businesses that are similar to yours and advisors that are similar to you. And, and, and I talked earlier about being different and having specialist roles. That, that's where it can be a challenge. And a lot of teams in the horizontal structure suffer from lack of leadership. And I'll just paint the picture for you. you know, you're an advisor that's been in the industry for 20 years. You have a lot of friends in the industry that have also been in the the same spot 20 years, probably have about the same asset base, the same production level. And you think, you know, let's form a team and really not thinking who's going to lead that team. And when you think about it, you have three individuals set in their ways, certain way of doing business. They have great relationships with their client base, and they've probably never been a leader outside of themselves because they've been a sole proprietor this entire time. And then you're asking to overnight just merge these three individuals and somehow magically you're going to get these outsized results by doing so. And and ultimately what you see is a lot of failure and frustration when that happens. And and it goes back to my earlier comments about, you know, when you're in that horizontal structure, I think it's one of the most challenging structures, but one of the most impactful structures to really scale is the leadership component and really understanding who's going to run this team are all of you going to run this team and how are you going to do it and have that plan in place? First, I've seen so many big teams come from Goldman and, and try to form a team. They were individuals and they said, Oh, let, let's leave Goldman and, and get into the independent business and, and start our own practice. And, you know, within three years, they usually break up. It's just too many egos shoved into one team at once without a proper plan in place. So I think both are, are just as powerful. You just got to decide which one's best for you. Um, If you like partnering with other financial advisors, you like that team collaboration, um, then I think it's really powerful. You know, there's leadership is something I'm so passionate about. And I think the old way that leadership used to be recognized and implemented was what I would call the leader follower model, where I'm the boss, you're the employee, and and I'm just going to tell you what to do all day. and, And that seems to work. That's such an old school way to lead. And in 2021 and beyond, it's all about a leader-leader model. And what I mean by a leader-leader model is, is you as the leader, your goal is to inspire others on your team to be leaders and to give them the proper training and development to become a leader. Because when you have a team of leaders, you have a bunch of inspired individuals that are going to want to run through a brick wall for you, not because you ask them to, but because they're inspired to. And some of the teams that I see in that horizontal structure that really have that collaborative team environment with open communication and dialogue are just unbelievable. They have the best culture. People say, how is culture built? Culture is built by a bunch of uh, individuals on a team that get along great. And uh, typically a lot of that culture is developed outside of the office. So having that, that team mindset, it goes back to what I said earlier, it's about growing others, not about growing yourself. And when you have individuals that have that mindset and work towards that, it's a dynamic that's hard to measure and, and kind of articulate, but it is the most powerful type of team that you want. And that can be achieved in the horizontal structure if leadership is established.
0: Yeah, love it. Um, leaders developing leaders, so many gems and uh, and pearls of wisdom in what you just said. I'm telling you, man, we are completely aligned. So we're, <laughs> we're living what you're, what you're putting down. We're picking up uh, for sure. So a lot of alignment there. And, you know, it's interesting when you were talking about, we we run in our practice, a vertical model, right? I'm, I'm that CEO that you got to meet at Starbucks because right. <laughs> kind of running around doing my thing and, you know, trying to cast vision and spend time uh, doing different types of business development, et cetera. So, w- but when you think about that horizontal model, I think a lot about, and again, I've seen it work and know of folks who've made it work. Uh, But I think a lot about kind of CPA firms, right? So, larger CPA firms, many times, in fact, I just hung up the phone with one like an hour ago, are very much horizontal in that there's, you know, 15 partners in a larger CPA firm or, you know, sometimes more, but they all just do their own thing. And there's a whole bunch of Indians and no chiefs running around. And I never thought about it that way. All those Indians, you know, it becomes hard because their peers to look at someone as a leader and those Indians almost need to go, we got to go bring in some outside leadership and maybe kick in a little piece of their revenue to pay for such leadership uh, as a way to actually make that model work. I personally uh, have found that a lot of times these horizontal models, to your point, break up and, uh, and have a hard time really scaling.
1: Yeah, and you got to have a business coach. I mean, I can't emphasize that enough. I've had a business coach for over a decade, um, and my ego will never get to a point where I think I don't need one. Uh, having an outside business coach is someone you can confide in, someone you can talk to, somebody that holds you accountable. And, and it's a very different relationship. They're, not every business coach is great. And, and you know if you've had a couple and they didn't work out, keep looking because there's some fantastic ones out there. But having that business coach is definitely something that can help gel a team if you're lacking leadership. And they, they could actually help you through that and,
0: and help it be successful, but highly, highly encouraged to have a business coach. Couldn't agree with you more. I've had one for many years. I mentioned Ray and Think to Perform. And if you don't mind my asking, if you don't mind sharing, do you, do you work with a larger firm as a coach or? I work with Brett Davenport.
1: He has his own, own firm out of Syracuse, New York, and um, he works with advisors as well as uh, professionals at, at all levels up to the CEO level. And, uh, you know, I give a lot of what I know and what has worked for me in my career as a leader to him, all the credit to him, quite frankly. And, uh, you know, it's never easy to have somebody um, hold you accountable to things and and tell you different ways of doing things. You really have to be open to it. And uh, those that are typically, you know, the rewards are incredible. And I've told him, you know, I'm going to retire with you no matter what. So (laughs) it's a special relationship.
0: I lo- lo- love an intro. If you're open to it, love to get him on the podcast Please. as well. He would love it. Uh That would be great. And uh, couldn't agree more. I I look forward to my hour coaching session. It's port coaching, port therapy every, every week. <laughs> exactly it's nice right. To, to have someone to talk to sometimes. That's for sometimes sure. a lot of therapy. Absolutely. <laughs> yep. So, um, yeah, lo- love all that, Robert. And you talk about. Um, leadership, a lot, which I love. You know, I've heard you talk a little bit about something. I think you call the team leadership trinity. Maybe you can talk a little bit about what that's all about. Yeah, if you if you
1: look at the things that that, that are put together, what we'll, we'll call it a trinity, where you put these three dynamics together, you really get outstanding results. And I think a lot of leaders do a little bit of it. The best leaders do a lot of it, or a lot of it. And it it starts with it starts with business planning. You know, uh, more often than not, what a lot of teams or advisors will do is they'll, they'll do their business plan either because their manager asked them to or, you know, that's just what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to put together a business plan and let's put it in a drawer for a year and revisit it a year later. Um, top teams are, are masters of business planning. They understand the power of it. And, and going back to coaching, I never understood how important a business plan was until I had a coach really show me what to put in that business plan. And quite frankly, if it's more than one or two pages, it's probably too long and um, it should be measurable goals. It should be things that are going to you know, cause growth and progression within the team. Um, and I'll tell you, when it comes to business planning, uh, the great majority of elite teams and elite advisors do it offsite. They don't do it in-house, in the office, if you will. And that goes to the second part of the, the leadership trinity. Business planning is number one, and offsite is number two. When I asked that question at Barron's uh, in a room of 200 uh, top teams, I'll ask them how many of you do offsites, and about 80% of the room will raise their hand. You ask that same question in any other conference, it might be 10 or 20%. So, you know, elite teams understand the power of getting out of the office and getting together and doing that offsite to create culture. And, and that's where the business plan is created. And typically they'll meet in January to uh, put together the business plan for the upcoming year, and then they'll meet once again in the summer and they'll refine the business plan. So the business plan isn't just something to do and put away, it's a living, breathing document that needs to constantly be updated. If you can think about every year that you've been in this industry, how much it's changed throughout the year, uh, whether it was the market, whether it was clients, whether it was fees, whether it was a pandemic, you always have to adjust the game plan. And and if you're not, you're definitely getting behind. And and what elite teams are always doing is is making sure that they're one step ahead. And and the way to do that is just through proper planning. And then the last one is, is the um, accountability piece. And it's, it's doing performance reviews with your team, which is, which is a really important part of leadership that has to be taught, I think. Um, performance reviews is all about accountability, holding the team accountable to the goals and objectives that are set, having start dates, end dates, and making sure that they're positive in nature. Um, you know, not a, not a time to beat down the team, obviously, but it's a time to, to pick them up. Time for training and a time to set new goals, and that accountability piece. Once I said once again, is so critical. As I mentioned earlier, only forty five percent of advisors actually measure results. And um, when you put those three together—business planning, offsite retreat, and performance reviews—it's just a
0: really dynamic uh, leadership qualities that that produces results. Frame of reference last week was my offsite business planning session. There you go, where my beachhead leaders <laughs> delivered. We call them periodic business reviews, PBRs. So I think, uh, I think that's beautiful. Absolutely right. It's it's you know it's amazing and it's just uh, again, as a Barron's top advisor and all that kind of good stuff. um, There's so many similarities, evidently, in what top advisors are doing. Right. So you kind of take this, and I know I'm stating the obvious here. But you actually know what you're doing and you actually have done some really good market research because it <laughs> seems as if th- this is what 80 percent of the top advisors are doing. I mean, hey, if I'm a listener right now and I want to you know, be one of the top advisors in the country, I might want to just follow this process and it would likely work. So uh, I, I know I'm staying the obvious <laughs> and trying to be a little funny here, but it really is as you're as you're walking through, I can't help but go, yeah, man, we, we've been doing that, but we didn't always do that. And it's starting to work and it just all fits together a little bit like a puzzle. One thing leads to the next, uh, which goes back to before, focus on one thing at a time. So really brilliant information here. I know um, the Oxley Institute has done uh, some research and talks about kind of like that Ritz-Carlton client experience as well. Uh, We also talk a lot about client experience in our practice. Any takeaways to share with the audience when you're thinking about um, you know, how to build those deep, meaningful relationships and win wallet share and win referrals, et cetera. Um, you know, any, any key pieces there you want to hit? Yeah. I'll give you a lot of little things that add up to big things um, that really matter. And I would say
1: the, the last year and a half has really tested a team's process. Um, you know, you, you take away that cadence of meeting with clients on a quarterly basis, face-to-face um, you meet, you, 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 lose that cadence of, of getting together as a team face-to-face um, how does your team operate or how do you operate as a financial advisor under a different environment when you get something thrown at you that, that you couldn't predict? So, you know, when rolling out the red carpet, it's all about the Ritz-Carlton experience. It's really about deepening the relationships. And it's the little things that that do add up. So something like knowing your client's preferred beverages. Uh, believe it or not, this is something I've been talking about for years that now teams are incorporating in their process. You know, you you all have those clients that come in your office once a quarter. They love to come in and see you. They spend an hour with you. Maybe they're a top 50 client. They enjoy the conversation. Uh, typically, they, they do ask for coffee or, or tea or something of that nature. And, and you know, I've been, in the, I've been in so many branches throughout the country, and you see the same thing. Um, but instead of asking that individual or, or couple what they would like to drink, already have it prepared. That should be in a spreadsheet. That should be well uh, documented, and w- especially if you're a top 50 clients. And that's just something that that's really simple to implement, have a preferred beverage. because if you the goal is to create a wow factor. And if I were to walk into your office, or I always say if I were to walk into my doctor's office and he had a cold bottle of water for me you knowing I love to drink water, he'd blow me away. I mean, that's never happened, and probably never will happen. Uh, but you know if one ever <laughs> figured it out, he would definitely differentiate himself. And I think that's the same thing with you. it's It's how can you differentiate yourself from from start to finish. Another one is team greeting. You know, every advisory practice, for the most part, looks the exact same. You walk in, you open the door, you walk in, there's a TV with CNBC going across. There's a couch or a chair. And there's usually an assistant to greet them. Um, if I'm a top 50 client and I've got two other advisors, you know, how are you going to make me feel more special than the others? And I think it all starts with the day, the second you walk through that door. And what a lot of teams are now doing is they're actually there to greet the client when they walk in or the couple and to say, hey, you're you're only going to meet with John today because you're going to discuss financial planning. But we just wanted to take a moment to all say, hi, thank you for being a client, and just, you just take a moment to uh, you know, see how you were doing. And That's something others don't do. That's creating that, that Ritz-Carlton environment and making you feel special. And high net worth clients, especially the baby boomers, they want to made feel uh, special. Um, knowing their likes, dislikes, hobbies is incredibly important. You know, we, we focus a lot on, on financial stuff, obviously in our industry, but elite teams are really focusing a lot more now on the qualitative stuff. It's what do people like to do for fun? Where do they like to eat? What are their passions? Where do they like to travel? And they're documenting this stuff for the first time in their careers. And they're really starting to get to understand their clients at a different level, which is leading to to great events that they can host, knowing those likes and pairing those up with their top prospects, as well as other top clients, engaging both spouses. I know that might seem obvious. Uh, But not everybody does it. And, um, you know, making sure that when you send out communication, it goes both to the both spouses, not just one, and uh, including them in in all activities. Um, Walking clients to a car, something very simple. You know, we live in a dangerous society. and, And sometimes, you know, advisors operate like they're dentists. Uh, they come in. It's a scheduled time. It's a scheduled meeting, and and then they walk out the door. I don't know if your dentist has ever walked you to your, your car. They've never walked me to my car. But you know, think about being different, and and that's something that'll just just separate you from from the pack. Um, being creative with communication is a really big topic right now. In fact, I was just at a wealth management conference over the last two days in Florida, and uh, a team talked about this, and they said. We, we, we changed the way we communicate with clients because we found a more effective time to do it. And I thought it was a really good idea. They send an email every Saturday, not, not Monday, not Friday, not Sunday, but Saturday. And their clients now expect it every Saturday morning to expect the team. So the consistency of that process, I think number one is key. Number two is Saturday is a day where your inbox slows down because all the work stuff isn't in there. It's also a time where, where clients can actually uh, have some time to read probably your email then during then the middle of the week where it gets shuffled around with everything else. And they're real thoughtful in the message. Um, something capital markets related, what happened during the week. And then secondly, things that are going on in the community, which I thought was a really good idea. So, you know, this weekend, there's there's a wine tasting at uh, so-and-so place down the street Saturday at 10 o'clock, things of that nature. So both community involvement as well as uh, capital markets, and they do that every Saturday. So I think that's a creative way and something different to think of not what's what's important to you as far as communication, but what's more important to your clients and what's most effective getting to know the family is, is an area that that I think a lot of advisors have missed and a lot of teams are figuring out it's it's tough it's a tough conversation how can I meet your aunts uncles cousins brothers kids even right we know how tough that is and what many have done for their top 50 clients is offer to do a family tree so they'll go to like ancestry.com and as a complimentary service uh, offer to do a family tree and it spits out that giant report that shows the lineage of their family and the history and you know, ultimately what that does, it just shows that you care beyond the finance. And it also, if you think about the number of introductions you're going to get from those conversations, it's extremely powerful. Um, wow. You've never met my brother. He's actually a dentist. He works right down the street. I can't believe I've never introduced you to it's, it's conversations like that to just come up naturally. And it just puts you in a different category because most advisors have never done that for their top clients. Um, surprise gifts. Uh, weddings, anniversaries, having a process around that. If you have a client that says, we're going on our 50th anniversary and we're going to Maui, we're staying at the Four Seasons and we're super excited about it. We've never been there, but it's been a dream of ours. When they arrived, you have a bottle of wine and a handwritten note in their hotel room. You know, how many do that? Those that do it are the biggest and the best because I hear it all the time, but I only hear it from typically the largest teams or the largest advisors. It's that thoughtful approach to really creating that wow factor. Um, another best practice around that is calling the kids. This is your first opportunity maybe to ever talk to the kids. Maybe you just haven't broke through and you call them up and you say, you know, your, your parents have been clients of ours for 22 years. They said they're going on their 50th wedding anniversary to Maui and staying at the four seasons. How cool is that? Or maybe they just said they're going to Maui and you say, you know, I've done a poor job. I haven't called you in 22 years. And and I want to apologize first and foremost, because you and I should have great dialogue. Um, By the way, do you know what hotel your parents are staying at? yeah, they're actually staying at the Four Seasons. Okay, great. Because what we wanted to do is just send them something special and send them a a token of our appreciation. And since I got you on the phone, um, I would love the opportunity to either set up a call with you or maybe meet you at Starbucks or take you to your dinner, maybe you and your spouse, just to get to know you, because it's a shame that after 22 years, I haven't developed a relationship with you. Um, Really great best practice that I heard from a team in Indiana that I would say are, are kind of masters of that. And they figured out how to tap into that next generation. It also shows that you're very thoughtful and caring about um, their parents, of course. So it's just putting processes around the little things that create those wow factors. Um, that, that's just a few of the ideas that I, that
0: I hear out there. Amazing, amazing ideas. I was writing them down feverishly, as you can see. Um, all great ideas. The two I liked was, I mean, I like them all, but Saturday email, never thought of that, never heard that one before. Uh, makes a lot of sense and kind of differentiates that email and kind of conditions the client to know when it's coming. Uh, and I guess once you start it, though, you can't stop, right? Because they're exactly. going to expect it. Uh, and the whole family tree using uh, Ancestry.com or one of those kind of, that's a brilliant idea. We, we, tr- we do some family tree work, but it's more asking the client and they're not thinking about uncles and aunts and either are we. So I, I actually love uh, love all the ideas but those two in particular are ones that I never would have thought of or uh, or uh, ever heard of. So fantastic! You know, one other piece that I just wanted to hit with you, Robert, and then we're uh, almost uh, out of time, unfortunately, because I really am enjoying the conversation here. Um, is what about business development? You know, are there are there things that you're seeing advisors are doing out there? It's been a little different world, right? Good to hear that you're traveling again to Florida. The world is starting to open up here some, which is nice. Um, but what about from a business development perspective? Have you seen kind of how advisors are, are, are doing business development change any or What's working out there?
1: Yeah. I, I mean, I would encourage everyone that, that is um, focused on business development, focused on growth, focused on growing their business and, and looking for a simple process to do it that maybe they haven't heard about before or trying to figure out how do these elite teams continue to grow, continue to scale, continue to get bigger. Um, There's a slide in our elite teams presentation, which which is approved everywhere, um, called Sourcing for Opportunities. And essentially what it is, is it's taking a client and finding every source that that client has. So neighbors, colleagues, friends, um, organizations, every single touch point, and it has them all in there. And really, your goal is to fill out that pie. You know, advisors spend so much time trying to figure out how to find opportunity outside of their book. Many just haven't figured out a process to how to source within their book. And when you start sourcing for names and connection points from your existing client base and you really create a process around this, many teams are hiring somebody just to do this. And it's a really big deal for teams that are growing because it's working so well. Um, That's a list you can't buy. You know, you can't buy that list. That's probably the most powerful list that you could ever create because you're creating uh, sources of opportunities for individuals that are just like your clients, the ones you want to replicate. You know, If it's their neighbors, if it's their colleagues, probably more than likely they're in the exact same situation. Those are the people you want to replicate. And, and that's where it comes from. And when it comes to seminars, there's never been an easier time than in this virtual environment. And we literally have used this slide to send out invites and then get in touch with those clients and say, Hey, by the way, you know, I've never asked you, um, do you have any neighbors that are 60 or over that you think might want to hear a Medicare presentation? We're going to do it virtually. It's only 30 minutes. It's just all full of great information. The only thing I need is their name and email address. And I would love to send them an invite. Never been an easier way to invite. um, I used to call them referrals introductions to hear you and your team in action. And it has been so powerful to see the advisors do it. Typically, a virtual seminar is working about 10 a.m. in the morning. That's actually when the most effective time, believe it or not, 10 a.m. in the morning, midweek. And you're getting 100 to 120 participants on these calls. You know, when's the last time you had 100, 120 at a steakhouse in a private room? Tough to do. And it's a pretty intimidating environment. And about 20 to 30% of those attendees are actually brand new introductions just by asking them. You know, do you have any friends, neighbors, or colleagues you think might want to listen into a Zoom for 30 minutes on Medicare or whatever the topic might be? There's a lot of interest in there. It's efficient. It's effective. And even when we go back to being live, teams are going to continue to do it just because it's, it's a, it's a time saver and it's an effective way to get in front of, of new individuals. So just a couple ideas there. But business development is all about creating a process. And that slide within our presentation, I think, is, is probably one of the best I've ever seen when executed upon.
0: Love it. Uh, great ideas, taking notes, going to steal some of your ideas, if that's okay. I guess, I guess if you're sharing with the world there, it's not stealing, is it? So (laughs) it's, uh, it's borrowing, which is where most of the good ideas come from anyway. Right. So, you know, Robert, um, amazing information. Um, as I've said a couple of times, super impressed and super aligned, uh, and to our listeners, these are just, they seem simple, Right but it's all in the execution of these ideas and these strategies uh, and best practices that Robert's walking us through. So before we wrap, is there anything, Robert, that I didn't ask, I'll I'll ask for contact info and uh, how uh, advisors in the industry uh, could potentially leverage yourself and first Eagle funds, but is there anything else uh, that I didn't ask that you might've wanted me to ask or that you wanted to share? Oh, thank you.
1: Uh, first of all, thanks. Obviously, thanks for, for having, having me on. Uh, it's a pleasure and I'm always humbled by it. So, so thank you. But, um, you know, I would just say, where do you go from here? You know, you hear a lot of ideas on things like this. So, so now what do you do? And, um, you know, as my business coach taught me, and it, it's really changed the way I think about tackling big projects or, 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 or starting a project, is to come up with three measurable goals write them down, have a start date, a finish date, and do it over a 90 day period and just stop there. Accomplish those three things and then move on to the next three because it's tough to accomplish more than three. And if you, if you make those a priority and you start today, three of the ideas that were mentioned today or maybe two of them you would like to implement, that's the best way to actually put it into execution, which at the end of the day is all that matters. The plans are great, but it's the execution that really makes the difference. So uh, I'll stop there.
0: No, well said. You are like a brother from another mother, my friend. We are very <laughs> aligned. So thanks uh, thanks for uh, for sharing that. So, um, so so Robert, where where can someone find you? If an advisor's listening in, uh, I know you're over at First Eagle Funds. Uh, is there an email or a website or how would someone go about getting in touch with you? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I'll, I'll give everyone my email here,
1: robert.milliman. M-I-L-L-I-M-A-N at F-E-I-M.com, Robert.Milliman at fei Always dangerous to give out your email to the world, but, but happy, to, uh, happy to work with you. We have so many clients at First Eagle. We're so fortunate, 41-year track record in our funds. Um, I'd be remiss if I didn't say thank you. I hate to do any event without thanking our clients for, for being a client. Uh, it's something that we value so much at First Eagle. Uh, founded back in 1864, we're an independent company that does value investing. I think better than anyone on the planet. And uh, you know, as we always say, our, our crystal ball is foggy at best, uh, but we work hard every day to uh, to provide a, a good experience for our clients. And uh, if you want to reach out to our sales desk, as I mentioned, that presentation is available at every firm. Uh, 800-747-2008. That's 800-747. Uh, we have a team of 30 externals
0: and just as many internals that would love to uh, partner and support you. Well, Lawson Robert, thanks again uh, for being our guest Some Pearls of Wisdom. Uh, we will publish the, the um, uh, email address uh, and uh, other uh, ways to get in touch with you that you mentioned in the show notes. So again, thanks for all the information. Thanks for being our guest. I thought you were fantastic. And I will wrap by saying thank you for listening in to another episode of Quantum Growth for Financial Advisors. If you know someone or you yourself could be a good guest and might have some value to give to our listeners, please feel free to shoot us an email uh, and we'd love to have you on as well. So with that, I hope everybody has a great day and thank you again for listening in.
1: Thank you for listening to today's episode. You can find the episode show notes and subscribe for updates by visiting cuttenconsultinggroupcom forward slash podcast. Make sure to subscribe and download the episodes on your favorite podcast app. And we'll see you next week.